Pray with me. Father, we uh, just come to you again asking for your spirit to anoint the preaching of your word and to open our ears to make us uh, ready and willing to hear and to live and to apply what is pure and good. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit upon my mouth that you would keep it from error and that you would allow it to be precise in explaining your word. And Father, we pray that you would allow words that are not from you to fall on the ground and not to be lodged in our mind. But Father, those that are, are true and pure and yours, Father, that they would rattle in our mind until we give them what they are due. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, good morning again. So uh, if you missed out on Vacation Bible School and you were wondering, hey, what was I doing in that super cool suit? If there's anybody, if there's any kids that are going to Children's Church, uh, Dana is in the back waiting for you. So do we have any kids for Children's Church this week? We do not. Dana, welcome back to the sermon. Uh, at any rate, if you were at Vacation Bible School, you saw me in, uh, in my uh, mission control uh, uniform. I was Captain Ican. Uh, as the kids learned, uh, Captain Ican was named Captain Ican because his his mom named him so that he would know just by remembering his name that he would have all the help that he would need. He was Captain Ican, and he came in every night with great confidence and had many misadventures because, as much as he thought he could. He failed. We had uh, our rocket fall over. We had our rocket blow up. And even at one point, we had uh, our entire launch site destroyed by Godzilla. So Captain Ican had a humbling week. But Captain Ican is, is more than just a character for Vacation Bible School. It is, it is I think, something for us to think about uh, as ourselves this week, this morning. Because the spirit of our age is the spirit of I can. You go to the movies, it is all about the hero who can do it. And, our, our, and we, are, we are pumped up to want to be the one who has the competence and the capability to accomplish, to be successful, to be the I can do anything. You watch advertisements on television and every single advertisement is, is simply saying, the reason you can't is because you don't have this. Add this to your life, and you will become an I can in your world. We look at uh, uh, I can in our graduation speeches. We're stirred with the idea that you can take over the world. You can do anything. This is, this is your generation. We're American, and you can't spell American without I can. Have you seen that on Facebook? That's what we are. Now, we like an ICANN spirit. That's, that's the spirit of the age. We want an ICANN spirit in our employees. We want an ICANN spirit in our athletes and in our soldiers. ICANN speaks something deep in our heart. There's a, a famous poem by William Ernest Henley who uh, captured, I think, maybe better than any other poem I can think of, this ICANN spirit in the poem titled Invictus. I'm going to read it for you. Out of the night that covers me, 
black as the pit from pole to pole. I think whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. How many of you heard that before? It's very famous. It's universal. You can hear it on the lips of politicians from the left and politicians from the right. Winston Churchill referenced it in World War II. Uh, Nelson Mandela recited it every day in prison. It is uh, incredibly famous for capturing the indomitable soul, the I can spirit. But as we come this morning to look at our scriptures, which I did not read yet, have I? Which I will. We are going to see that the I can spirit is the most dangerous false teaching. The gospel is simply this. He can. And when we imbibe on the spirit of I can, we are moving completely away from that message. Last week we saw that we are to live in the gospel. This week we are going to be warned most adamantly by Paul against being taken captive with the I can spirit that is dominant in all religious beliefs outside of Christianity. So today, I, I want to appeal to you as we, as we go through this message. The message of I can is, is, is so tempting. It is, it, is, it is something every single one of us are susceptible to. And I would submit to you that every single one of you has been corrupted or unrepentant of some part of I can and as we go through this message today, we are going to see how bankrupt I can is, how dangerous it is to be ensnared, how incumbent upon you it is to look at it in your soul and root it out. Because if you are standing on I can, you will not stand in the end. We're going to look at this passage and we are going to see that Paul puts out four stark contrasts between I can religious beliefs and the gospel that is he, Jesus can. Let us stand for the reading of the word. Paul writes in his letter to Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him 
who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, again, I want us to see four stark contrasts between I can religious beliefs and the gospel, which is he, Jesus, can. Let us look at the first contrast. I can beliefs deceive. The gospel of he can is proven truth. Let us look at the I can part, and then we'll look at the he can part. I can, as we look at at, at, uh, verse 8, you see these words, philosophy and empty deceit. That is the category, that is the description that Paul gives to this false teaching. Now, Paul is not speaking of the academic discipline of philosophy or the general pursuit of knowledge called philosophy. He is speaking more specifically to the philosophy that he calls empty deceit, the philosophy that he is going to lay out as I can. We are going to see that the false teaching in uh, the book of Colossians, which we are moving into at uh, breakneck speed, uh, the scholars call it the Colossian heresy. They call it the Colossian heresy for two reasons. One, it's unique to Colossae. And two, no one knows what it is. So we just put it around this little box and we call it Colossian heresy. However, if we read the text carefully, and when we remember a a letter is one half of a conversation, it is very likely that we are able to hear at least part of what is the Colossian heresy based on how Paul answers and and what he writes about. And so if you turn to the the text and you look at chapter 2, verses 18 and verses 21 and 23, you're going to see a lot of elements that are part of the Colossian heresy. I'm going to read them for you. Colossians 2, 18, and then 21 to 23. Paul says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, being puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Then down to 21, in quotes, Do not handle Do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh." As scholars seek to piece together all of these different elements and try and find a, 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 a springboard that would, that would explain them, uh, the best that we can understand is that there seems to be a predominantly Jewish heresy that has then been mishmashed with a lot of pagan ideas. So what we have here is a Jewish pagan monster, or what we call syncretism, lying in the background of the Colossians. And there are teachers coming and saying, you need to add the worship of angels, you need to add asceticism, you need to add these these strict rules of body and diet. Those are the things that you need to, to have. 
the gist of what we can understand here is that Paul has come in, <clears throat> or Paul's uh, uh, teachers have come in, Epaphras and others, and given the clear, simple gospel that Jesus is enough, full stop, to save you and redeem you, full stop. But other teachers have come in and they have decided to speak to these young Colossian believers and say that they need to supplement Christ in order to approach God, in order to have the fullness of a religious experience. I.e., the Colossian heresy is one we know well. It is gospel plus. Gospel plus. Add asceticism, add worship of angels, add secret knowledge. Whatever it is, it is gospel plus. And what is it that we are always adding when we say, you know what, the gospel's great, but if you, if you want to go the whole way or if you want the full story or you want the full assurance or you want a greater experience or you want more out of your faith, what is ultimately being said in the gospel plus message. How do we get more? It's always with this. I can. Throw a little I can into the gospel and you'll have it much better, much fuller, much more complete. Gospel plus I can. You see, the Colossian heretics were saying Yes, Jesus is great. Jesus has done this. But to that, trust in yourself, trust in your works, trust in your self-denial, trust in, in these beliefs, trust in this secret knowledge that comes through the worship of angels. So that's I can. That's trusting in self or, or trusting in extra knowledge that you have come up with. But the great error, and, and Paul lays it out with, with no uh, mincing of terms is that this is empty deceit. This idea of gospel plus I can is empty deceit. Why is it empty deceit? Well, first of all, it's a lie. It's deceitful. It is a lie. There is nothing that we can do to improve the gospel. There is nothing that we can control. Listen, the scriptures tell us from, from Jesus' own mouth, Luke chapter 12, verses 25, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you, your I can spirit is so impotent, you can't even add an hour to your life. You can worry and, and program all of these things, but the, the length of your life is not even something you can change, not even by 60 minutes. And yet we all have the I can spirit that somehow, some way, I'm going to unlock this longevity, long life. I'm going to find control where no one else has. By my intelligence, by my money, by, by something else, I am going through, I can, to better myself, to do something that others can't. The deceit is, I can, makes you think that you're actually in control. 
You're not in control. I learned that this week. I have two wonderful working cars Thursday morning. I had enough cars I could give one away. And so I parked one of our cars in our church's parking lot. And that was at 845. We actually have a video of what happened at 845. Can you see this? This is our parking lot. This silver van that shows up in just a few seconds is going to be right there. That's my car. And then it rained. It rained. It rained. Cars underwater in a river. If the rain, which was only 30 minutes long, had been five minutes longer, that car would be totaled. My other car, which I drove home from there at the same time, is, I think, totaled. I started the day secure with a lot of car. And I, in the middle of the day, was aware I had nothing. One storm out of nowhere reminded me I have no control. What I, what I think is guaranteed, what is dependable, reliable, is shaken to its core. So it's empty deceit. We are not in control. And second of all, we recognize that it's empty. It's empty. When we, when we are, are trusting in, in philosophy and empty deceit to add to the gospel, we are basically believing in idols. We go back to the book of Isaiah, which, which describes really what idols are all about. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 says this. You have rejected your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of things from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with the children of foreigners. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to whatever their own fingers have made. You see what an idol is? It is something that we put our trust in to provide security. Idols are just like the horses, which were military strength, just like the silver and the gold, which was financial strength, was just like the the fortune tellers of the Philistines, which was a sort of religious strength. Those are all idols. Idols are simply this. They're not little, little statues that Indiana Jones collects. Idols are whatever we seek to put our security in. And when you watch your cars being destroyed in a flood, you recognize, I have made an idol of these cars. I have relied upon them. I have taken them for granted. The thing that, that Isaiah wants us to know, because all of that, that they were boasting in and and finding security in, was about to be destroyed by the Babylonians utterly and completely. What, What we must recognize about idols and what Paul is saying when he uses the word empty deceit is that idols are fake security. And we forget that. We forget that so quickly. I'm okay. I've got my two cars. I'm more than okay. But idols cannot do anything other than this. They take trust from Christ alone and they put it into what can't, which is us. 
idols tell us, find your security in the sand. Take your feet off of the rock. And that's what happens. They deceive us. They think we should have one foot on the sand and one foot on the rock. But the good news is that the gospel of he can is proven truth. We're told there at the end of verse 8, according to Christ. According to Christ. That is our plumb line. That is our, that is our rocky ground. Why? Because he's the resurrected Lord. These aren't just ideas of self-improvement. The the message of Christ is banked upon the clear and indisputable message that he is risen, that he is alive, that though we put him to death, death could not hold him. He walked again and talked again and has gone to heaven where he waits until the right time to return. You see, when we put our faith in Christ, we are not putting our faith in something that is empty. We are not putting our faith in something deceitful. We are putting our faith in something proven, something established. And it is that proven Christ that must be our measuring stick against all other philosophies. It is our plumb line that allows us to know what is square, And what is trustworthy? Do you want to know how to know deceit from truth? Do you want to know the secret to understanding where error is versus truth? It's simple. You expose deceit by knowing Christ. You know error by knowing Christ truth. Listen to what Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 4 of uh, his letter there, uh, verses 13 and 14. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So as we grow up into Christ, what happens? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. As you mature in your knowledge and truth of Christ, you are no longer tossed to and fro and confused like a child. You are stable. You are upon the rock and no longer upon the sand. So the question is, are you trusting in Christ alone? That is the truth. False teaching is always going to want to minimize Christ. They want to say Christ is good. It's Christ alone that I disagree with. So subtract a little from Christ, add a little bit of I can, and that's where the good life is. But that is false. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. This is the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
Do you, do you see? We are dead in our trespasses. We do nothing, but God in his grace makes us alive. The gospel message is this. It's a 0% I can. It's a 100% he can. And anytime we mix that up, we are necessarily denying Christ his glory. Because we have moved him from 100% to something less. So what must you do to be uh, uh, saved from the deceits of I can and grounded in the proven truth of he can? It's simple. You must renew your mind. You must be in the scriptures. You must be getting to know Christ. You must be walking with Christ, praying with Christ, experiencing Christ in fellowship and community. It sounds like something I say every week, but that's because it's simple. That's because it's what God has designed to take care of you. So that's first, I can beliefs deceive. Gospel uh, of he can is proven truth. Second, I can beliefs are from men. The gospel of he can is from God. Major difference. I can, Paul says, is according to human tradition. What is the the source of all these I can beliefs, all these good religious ideas and and religious wisdom that is out there in the marketplace? It it, it all comes out of speculation or imagination or human reason or dreams or, or visions, but they all come out of man. All of these other ideas that are not the gospel have come out of man. You, you, you may hear great wise men like Buddha or Confucius. You may, you may hear the teachings of Muhammad or, or Joseph Smith. They, they have all presented other ways that we need to consider to get to God. But if you look at all of them, there is something that unites every single one of these other ways. And this is how you can judge them all quickly. Their ways betray their origin. Every single one of these other ways has this plan. It's about getting from here to there. From here to there, whether that's a philosophy of transcendence or a place called heaven. All of these are a from-below approach. And they they all look at human beings as basically having a balance where you need to put more good than bad or or as a staircase that you need to walk up a staircase to get to the next level of purity. They're basically the Tower of Babel. How are we going to build ourselves to God? And the message is always simple. It's be good or do good. And what is be good or do good? What is that? That's I can. That's I can. I mean, this is why every funeral, we spend so much time talking about how good that person was. Why is it so important that we leave this person with a memory they were a good person? Because we want our assurance in they were good, and good people go to heaven. That's an I can spirit. And the problem is, the I can belief comes from men. And you know the biggest problem of the, the, the origin of the I can? Is that it is dishonest about sin. 
The ICANN spirit is dishonest about sin. It has to deny Jesus' words in Mark chapter 10, which says, No one is good except God alone. You can't have an I can religion if no one is good. You can't believe Jesus there. You have to deny Jesus there. You have to deny Paul's words in Romans chapter 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't believe sin is that bad. You can't believe that the staircase falls short, that we all come up short. And that it reveals so importantly that you are dealing with a man-made belief system because they don't acknowledge the truth. That sin means we've all fallen short and there is no way I can can get us there. But the gospel of he can is from God. Look at verse 9. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. When Paul says deity, he is is speaking of Jesus' essence. He is telling us that Jesus, the, the one that walked and talked, that went to the cross, that was buried in the tomb, that was risen from the dead, that Jesus is God incarnate. You saw Jesus and Jesus' own words were, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, because he is God incarnate. You see, the good news that we preach, the good news that I proclaim to you with with vigor and, and confidence is not in me. It is because of the source. The source of the gospel is from above. It came from God. As Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven. Buddha doesn't know anything about the next life. Confucius, no one except the one who has come from heaven can speak with authority about what happens when you die, can declare with certainty what's next. And the only one that fits that description is Jesus Christ. He came from heaven. He returned to heaven. And that's the good news. He came down. The gospel is not us climbing up. It's that he came down. Not because he needed us, because he loved us. He came down to save us. It is not man-made. This is why the gospel is, is so offensive and, and confusing and, and, and hard to grasp for even many church-going folk. Because it's not at all how we think as men and women. We have an I can spirit. And the gospel comes and says, I can fails. You need grace. You need grace. You think you are good, but you fall short. You must be saved by grace. Meaning, God has to do it all because you can't. 
And that's a humbling message. We're American. We don't want to be told we're Americans, but that's the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The, the, the gospel is scandalous. It is this. Heaven is a gift to sinners, not for becoming good, not for doing good, not for putting more good works on their balance than bad works. You're still the scale. The bad works are still with you. It doesn't, doesn't matter. None of that is why you are saved. No. Heaven is a gift for sinners because they believed in Jesus. That's it. There's no I can in that at all. It's I can't, but he can. It's grace. The gospel is he did because we can't. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. I can beliefs are for men. The gospel of he can know is from God. Third, I can beliefs lack power, but the gospel of he can is almighty. You see, Paul then says, I can is also uh, according to the elemental spirits of the world. In verse 8, he says, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And that uh, phrase, elemental spirits, is uh, uh, describing what are basically uh, forces and beings and powers that are kind of a spiritual reality uh, that is behind reality. The, the elements uh, are unseen, but they, they kind of control uh, the, the world in, in different ways. And so uh, the, the, the first century pagan mind was, if we get in, 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 in line with these elemental forces, uh, then we will be able to unlock the successful life. And so they would solicit these, these forces and, and gods and angel-like beings or whatever with patronage and with ritual, uh, with invocations, Basically, it boils down to this. I can, with a little help from my friends, is the whole idea of the elemental spirits. And, and we might say, you know what, we're, we're just we're further along than that. We don't have those kinds of trappings. The elemental spirits of the, of the world are still working upon us today. What are the spirits of this age? Do we not reverence wealth? and technology, and medicine, because of the power and the promise that they have to save us from death. Now, wealth and technology and medicine are not bad in themselves. They are good as gifts, but they are very bad as saviors. And so many, even us in this room, mistake the gift for a savior. We trust in the medicine, in the technology, 
in the wealth. We become beholden to their promise to make our life better and happier and easier and longer. Those are the elemental spirits of the world. If we just tap into them, the new iPhone will simplify and ease up my life. It hasn't. There will be a pill someday that will take the pain out of my knee. I'm going to hope for that. It won't. It won't for long. We become beholden to these promises. And as we do, we don't realize it, but subtly and but surely we decrease our reliance and dependence on Christ. It's very simple. Christ explained it in the Sermon on the Mount. Man cannot serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will serve the one and not serve the other. We cannot serve both God and money. And that has been a commandment that the American spirit has tried to foil. These elemental spirits of the world are powerless. That's what Paul wants us to recognize. They are weak. He speaks of them again in Galatians 4 verse 9 when he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? I mean, you have God. Why are you turning back to putting your trust in wealth and medicine and technology or other elemental spirits of the world? These these spirits are weak and they're superfluous. Why? Why are they superfluous? Because the gospel of he can is almighty. Look at verse 10. He is the head of all rule and authority. Christ is the ruler above all rulers. Whatever whatever powers or strength you may have found in these other things, they are subservient to Christ who is king of kings. And where they can't, he can. He is the almighty Beloved, in the gospel, we have Christ who can do all things. Why do we continue to look for security anywhere else? As Hebrews tells us in chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Fourth, I can beliefs in prison. The gospel of he can sets free. This is why Paul is so passionate He starts this whole passage by saying, see to it that no one takes you captive. It is a strong warning. The words captive means to become spoiled, to to be kidnapped, to be enslaved. He is saying that if you fall for this I can message, 
you are going to be separated from the gospel. You are going to go back into slavery. You are going to go back into bondage to the law and to the works which can never save you. This is not an idle issue. The, the, the message of I can and the message of he can are polar opposites and at grievous war with one another. You cannot make peace and do a little I can and a little he can because the I can spirit will enslave you. It will take you away. It will harden you with this deceitful message. You can do it, so why do you need Christ? Look at Invictus again, that, this famous poem that so many have made their personal motto. The last lines, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Do you, do you see what he's actually saying there? Do you know where the words, how straight the gate, come from? They're from the King James Version of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in that way. Do you, do you see what, what the author of this poem is saying? I don't care about how straight and narrow the gate is. I don't care about the record of judgment. I am so confident in myself to stand on my own merits, on my own abilities, on my own inconquerable soul, that let it come. I'll trust myself because I am the captain of my soul. He is laughing at judgment. He is scorning the warning of hell. That is where the I can spirit goes. It chooses damnation. That is what the author ends with. I will choose damnation to have the captain of my soul. And the tragedy is that the I can beliefs in prison you from the gospel, and the gospel of he can sets free. Because we are told in verse 10, you have been filled in him. He is telling the Colossians, he is telling us, don't listen to this I can spirit. Christ gives us everything we need. When we trust that he can, we are delivered from judgment. We are heirs of heaven. We are free as free can be. Paul says in Galatians 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we see these four stark contrasts between I can and he can. I can deceives he can is proven true. I can is from men. He can is from God. I can lacks power. He can is almighty. I can imprisons. He can sets free. I can 
or he can. Which describes you? I'll confess when my cars were being destroyed on Thursday, I panicked. I was angry. I lost my temper at myself because my world crumbled. I was living in I can and I didn't realize it. It wasn't until minutes later when the storm quieted down that I realized he's still in control. And when I live in I can, I live in fear, but when I live in he can, I live in peace. That's really the choice. That's what Captain I can discovered at the end of VBS when he discovered that his full name from his mom was he can not I can. And so at the end of Vacation Bible School, he changed his name from going as Captain I can to Captain He can. That's what we're all asked to do. To go from being Captain I can's to Captain He can's. Have you done the same? Beloved, who is the captain of your soul?